Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. What does the reversal of Roe v. Wade mean for the church? First and foremost, I want to give God thanks for what he did uh, last week on Friday in the overturning of the Roe v. v. Wade um, wrongful edict that happened 50-something years ago and has been the proponent of the murder of 60 million babies since then. And so... I love how the victory came because it didn't come with a Republican president and a Republican House and a Republican Senate and we had, you know, everything, all the cards lined up right. It came at a time where the politics of the United States of America is totally opposed, opposed, especially in high office, in the presidential office, totally opposed to what the word of God says, and especially on the issue of abortion. And I love that because it shows that God doesn't care who is in the White House or in the outhouse. He doesn't care who's in Parliament. He doesn't care about the WHO. He doesn't care about what uh, organizations are trying to work behind the scenes to implement propaganda and all kinds of stuff to, to turn people away from God and and usher in an antichrist spirit into nations he doesn't care the lord reigns omnipotent on his throne and the bible says he sits on the throne and does whatever he wishes at any time when he arises psalm 66 says let god arise and his enemies be scattered And so I take the first couple of minutes of this broadcast to give God thanks. It is an amazing display of his power that through the prayers of the saints, God has acted. You know, it's amazing because a lot of Christians have this wrong, this misconception about how God acts. People think that everything has to be, all the cards lined up, all the, you have to have a perfect set. Everything has to be neatly arranged before God can do something. Every time you study history, every time major revivals hit the earth, they're at a time of total chaos. I mean, study Genesis 1. The Bible says the earth was in chaos. The Bible says that everything, there's darkness over the globe. And it was at that time that God spoke, let there be light. Why? Because the entrance of his word brings light. And darkness has no, has no power to solve it. The Bible says that light shines in darkness. So it's not God waiting for a, a period of light before he starts to move. The Bible says that the devil is the prince of darkness, but Jesus said he has nothing in me at all. When I move, it doesn't matter. He clears off the way. And you know that Jesus said, I have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And I give it to you, the church. And whatever you bind, and the way we bind things is two ways. Through prayer and preaching. We bind things through prayer and preaching. We don't just pray for things to change. We pray it equips us with the necessary power to actually go out and preach to set the captives free. And so Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys to bind things on the earth. You know, if all Christianity was good for is for you to get to heaven and enjoy heaven, 
then you're, you're, if that's all you think Christianity is good for, that one day you'll make heaven, you're missing a huge component of what the word of God says our duty is on the earth. The Bible says that we are to affect change. David, the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, David, after he had served his generation, Christianity is not just getting a passport for heaven. Christianity is God sending his power to be a deposit on the inside of you to affect an indelible change on the earth whereby nations are changed, whereby laws are changed, whereby, like we just saw, things, curses are lifted off of nations because of our very presence and prayers in, in any given nation. And so you have to see yourself as the restrainer on the earth. You have to see yourself. Jesus, uh, Paul said it this way in 2 Thessalonians 2, that the Antichrist indeed wants to change the, the, the system of the earth. The Antichrist wants to move in. He has a plan to set up a five-fold agenda. And we read that in Revelation 13, what that five-fold agenda is and entails. Number one, he wants to establish a one-world currency and monetary system. No man will be able to buy or sell without having received a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. You see, I see all of the world current events through Bible prophecy, through the lens of Bible prophecy. If you'll start to read Final Bible, and now we have all kinds of videos on our, on our YouTube channel on Final Bible Prophecy, and I have videos on the five agendas of the Antichrist and all that. And if you'll start to actually get that in your spirit and read about what's going on through that lens, it'll make a lot of sense to you. You'll find out that the world is not falling apart. The world is actually falling into prophetic alignment. It's falling into prophetic alignment. The Antichrist has five policies. One, he wants to implement a one monetary system, one world currency. Two, he wants to implement a one world religion, a one world religion where he himself will sit in the temple of God saying that he is God himself. Three, the Antichrist wants to implement a one world military and a one world army where he'll be able to enforce everything he wants with physical force. Four, the Antichrist wants to enforce a, the Antichrist wants to enforce a one world leader, a one world government, a one world leader, one person who would, who would run the whole world affairs. That it would, there would be no, that's, the, that's what you're seeing, the attack against the sovereignty in nations. You can't have a world government if there are strong independent nations. You can't have a strong world government and a global community if you have a strong America and a strong Canada. So that's why you see the devil's target right now is aimed towards America because they always, Lester Sumrall used to say, America is the last domino to fall before the Antichrist can literally take, take over. America is the last domino to fall before freedom of speech and freedom of religion and all these things that America's fought for overseas and on domestic land to, to keep the, the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. These, you think that's a universal thing? No. 
You are privileged if you live in America. The Canadian Constitution and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We have certain privileges that are protected, although in the last two years there's been a lot of messing things up on that. But nonetheless, the actual law of the land in America and Canada has been designed. Do you understand when they drew up these documents, they fasted and prayed? Ben Franklin, before they wrote up the Constitution, said, let us take a time to fast and pray before we write anything down. You read the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, it literally starts with these laws have been, have been um, I'm just paraphrasing it, but these laws have been derived through the Holy Scriptures of God. That everything that was written was written with Judeo-Christian values in mind. And so the Antichrist wants to totally mess all that up on a global scale. But 2 Thessalonians 2 says there is one thing that's standing in the way of this man of lawlessness that the Bible describes the Antichrist to be. There's one thing standing in his way. And the scripture says that it is the restrainer. And there's been a lot of speculation over the years as to who the restrainer is. Some people think it's government policies. It's not government policies. Some people think that it's, it's, um, it's the Holy Spirit. That once the Holy Spirit is taken away, then well, that doesn't make any sense. Because if the Holy Spirit was taken away, he would cease to be omnipresent. He'd cease to be everywhere at once. And if he lost that aspect and attribute... Uh, he would cease to be God because God is omnipresent and he's part of the Godhead. So it's not the Holy Spirit. The restraining force on the earth prohibiting these things from totally infesting society on a global scale is the Holy Ghost filled church. It's you and I. The Bible says you are the salt of the earth. You are the city set on a hill. You are the light of this world. Well, darkness cannot overpower light as long as light is here darkness has limitations as long as you are on the earth as the salt of the earth you are what is preserving the world from rotting notice how when the rapture of the church takes place which i hold to a pre-tribulation rapture and i know a lot of people have a problem with that and that's fine we're not gonna you know we're not gonna argue on that but and I have a video on why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, which I should, I'd recommend you go and listen to. But I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because the great tribulation is the pouring out of God's wrath upon the wicked. Well, the Bible says we've not been appointed to wrath, but to salvation. So how can God pour out his wrath on people who've not been appointed to wrath? Makes no sense. Secondly, the great tribulation, who's going to be the man in charge on the earth? The Antichrist. The Bible says, then the Antichrist will be revealed and he will sit as God in the temple of God and he's going to run the show for a period of seven years. But get this, if we the church have dominion over the Antichrist, which the Bible very, very well says in 1 John 4, 4, beloved, you have overcome evil spirits and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Well, how can one, the Antichrist, who's going to be given a the Bible actually says he's been given authority over the earth for a time. And he, you see what he does. He wreaks havoc on the earth. How can he have authority over the church? It makes no sense. The Antichrist can never exercise authority over the church. The church has dominion on the earth while we're here. But the moment we're taken up, the earth is going to rot within seven years. 
Within seven years, everything, the Antichrist after three and a half years is going to show forth his ugly colors and everything's going to rot and, and go kaputs. So why do I talk about what does the reversal of Roe v. Wade mean for the church? Because this, I believe, the Antichrist was trying to overstep what he's going to do during the seven years of tribulation. But this was like a fending off. It beat him back. It threw him back a hundred steps. And the church literally, and God has made a statement. It's not time yet. You know, at the beginning of the COVID stuff, um, there was a man of God, Rodney Howard Brown, in the United States that had a vision of a whirlwind, and he was on his bed, and the whirlwind was coming towards him, and he was freaking out a bit because it was scary. He thought what he was seeing was a whirlwind of fire, and that whirlwind came into his spirit. It just, it entered into his spirit. And he said, I heard the Lord speak. And this guy's a prophet. This guy's one of the pr people that prophesied uh, September 11. When he did a crusade in Madison Square Garden in 1999, he was, he was saying with thousands in attendance, they had over 80,000 decisions for Christ in six weeks in 1999. And in one of his crusades, he begins to say, what will happen when an airplane or a torpedo hits the middle, a skyscraper in the middle of, of the United States. Well, this was in 1999. They, they never heard. They thought he was crazy for saying that two years later. So when someone has a track record of that, of, 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 of being right on, right on point, you start to listen to what they say. So he said, and this was in probably April or May of 2020, that he had this vision and the thing, that, that whirlwind of fire entered into his spirit. And he began, the Lord began to speak to him saying, this is not the end. This is not the end, because everyone thought this was the end. Everyone thought the end of the world is here. You know, we're about to go to the loo, uh, pack your bags. And then the, the Christians who believe in a post-tribulation rapture, they started buying, you know, seven years of rice and, 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 and canned vegetables and all that. And, uh, and so he comes out with this word that this is not the end, the Lord said. This is just one of the birth pangs of the end. But that rather than, rather than this being... You know, the time where the church should hide. This is the time where the church should rise. And they begin to have nightly meetings called the stand in Tampa. They're still going on. They're on night 700 and something, 755 or something like that. And they're still doing nightly meetings, taking a stand, being the salt of the earth. And uh, they've mobilized, you know, hundreds of thousands of people since then. And that's what I'm telling you right now. The reversal of Roe v. Wade this is not the end. This is, I believe, the first major domino to fall. I wrote this on Twitter the other day, and it bears repeating. On Twitter, I wrote that, uh, where is it? Right here. The overturning of Roe v. Wade was the first domino to fall, which will result in a series of victories for the church from now until the rapture takes place. These are the glory days of the church. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about that. Uh, but I wanted to discuss before we move on to what I believe prophetically is going to happen on the earth as a result of Roe v. Wade being, turned, being overturned. Before I get into the meat of that, I wanted to go through because it has to be said. And there's a lot of Christians that honestly don't know any thing about the matter biblically. They just come up with their own ideas and opinions, it's a very dangerous place to be as a Christian when you start to just 
come out with your own opinions and you never refer to what the scripture says on something. And in recent days, the topic of abortion has been has been very popular and it's been trending and a lot of Christians are giving what they think. You know, there was, I said it on Tuesday, there was major, major Christian music artists, celebrity Christian pastors that were completely silent and then not only some of, I mean, at least be silent, then open up your mouth and deem yourself a fool because there were some that were silent, but then there were some that opened up their mouth and said, you know, men should not have any business talking about what a woman does with their body and all that. And they, if I named them, you would know them. Major, major. People that are on television, people that you even listen to their music have been coming out saying that what happened with Roe v. Wade being overturned is wrong, that, you know, a a Supreme Court of nine people should not be able to be able to legislate things that influence what 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 reproductive health care says. I want to go through, before I move on to anything else, what the Bible says about abortion and what Roe v. Wade actually was. Because a lot of people don't understand what Roe v. Wade was. Matter of fact, let me go through that first. What was Roe v. Wade? What was the, the, the overturning? What did it signify, the, the abolishment of, the abolishing of Roe v. Wade? A lot of people think that it was the removal of reproductive health care. That if a woman has a miscarriage now, she's going to have to live with the baby inside of her and that can cause infection and that can cause death and the woman's now at peril with her health because of it. That's not what Roe v. Wade dealt with. A lot of, and I saw one lady on Twitter post that, you know, this is hold, now women won't be able to get treatment for ectopic pregnancies. Women won't be able to have treatment for miscarriage. Women won't be able to have treatments for septic uteruses and all that stuff. I want to tell you from someone who actually studies this stuff what Roe v. Wade signifies. This is from live action. The treatment, so what Roe v. Wade is not taking away, the overturning of it is not taking away from people and women in particular. The treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion and therefore is not being touched. The treatment for a miscarriage is not an abortion and therefore it's not being touched. And this is where, this is how the devil does things. He takes, he takes something, he totally twists and perverts a good thing, feeds it to a generation who, because they don't know the truth, and it's sad to say my generation oftentimes with the advancement of technology where you can literally just Google something, a lot of people, they, they're misinformed and it's because of laziness. They don't want to look it up themselves. They just want to be fed, fed, fed. Don't be that type of person. Don't just share anything on social media. Even if I send it, don't just share it. First, look it up. Whether these things are so. Because I'm tired of not just the far, far extremist left that are sharing, you know, misinformation on social media that's just stirring up people in ignorance because they're mad about things that just aren't so. You have the far, far right. They use the same tactics. It's wrong on both ends. Find the truth and stick to the truth. Don't just share things. Find out whether it's so and use your noggin. Live action. This is what they said. 
The rumors of the treatments that ectopic pregnancies are being touched is false. It is not an abortion, therefore it's not being touched. Treatment for miscarriage, not being touched. Treatment for septic uterus, not being touched. There is a difference between losing a child and murdering a child, and not a single pro-life law in recent days will impact the treatments. If you've had a natural miscarriage, it is not an abortion. Anyone that tells you otherwise is misinformed and or is intentionally lying to you. There is a complete moral and legal difference between tragically losing a child and intentionally murdering a child. And the Roe v. Wade being overturned does not touch the reproductive health care needed for a woman who has tragically lost a child. It just bars people and I'm going to get into the statistics because people need to hear this. Abortion activists are trying to manipulate mothers who've tragically lost their children into joining the side that champions the murder of children. Don't give into the lies. Abortion is not necessary for the safety of women. Abortion places women and children in grave danger. 30 plus years. This is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. 30 plus years of delivering thousands of babies. This is, he, he's, um, he's um, an OBG. YN. And I've never, 30 years of doing births, deliveries, I've never had to intentionally kill a fetus to save a mom. And I've never lost a mom who would have been saved by an abortion. It's never needed to save a woman's life. And saving women with miscarriage and ectoptic pregnancies also is not abortion. Treatment for a miscarriage is not the same thing as an abortion. Techniques may be similar, but the purpose is not. Treatment for miscarriage is needed because the baby has died, but not yet been expelled. Abortion kills the baby first because he or she is unwanted and the facts matter. Now I want to go through statistics, which the source is Florida's Agency for Healthcare Administration 2015 data. This is the statistics, the percentage of abortions by reason. So I'm really shedding light on, on some things that people don't, they really have no clue on. A lot of people, who, if you would tell this to 95% of people that actually are activists for abortion or mad about Roe v. Wade being turned, overturned, I guarantee you they change their, their tune. They'd be like, well, I didn't actually know that. Because they're enraged through ignorance. The devil operates in darkness through ignorance. Listen to this. This is going to shock some of you. Pregnancy resulted from an incestuous, incestuous relationship. So abortion because of a pregnancy resulting from an incestuous relationship percentage, 0.001%. Now I want to preface all of this that I'm about to go through by stating Abortion is never justifiable, whether it's incest, whether it's rape. Now, I know that's hard, and I want to be very sensitive because rape is never easy, an easy topic to talk, talk about. But a, two wrongs don't make a right. And the Bible specifically says that the child should not have to bear the sins of his father. And so when someone, unfortunately, is sexually abused and it results in a pregnancy, the answer to it is not, it should never be abortion. Because abortion literally punishes the innocent and leaves the, the guilty free. Because, you know, now the, the dad doesn't even have to think about it anymore. It's done with. 
It punishes the innocent, the one who did nothing. The child, the life that you now have in your womb is totally innocent. Totally, and that's a life. Regardless of how it came, it's still life. And life is precious in the sight of God. Regardless of how it came. You know, there's people that say, well, you know, the, the, they, they said that the baby's going to be deformed. So we should, so deformed babies don't matter? You should just kill them? Well, this baby might have Down syndrome. You know, when we were pregnant with my firstborn, the OBGYN, I guess they're trained to say, do you want to get an, a test for Down syndrome? In case the baby has Down syndrome, would you abort? Are you crazy? No. What, because they have Down syndrome, they're not worth a dime a, a dozen? Because they have Down syndrome, because they're deformed, because they have some sort of deformality at birth, they're not worth anything? They're disposable and discardable? The devil devalues life. God values life, no matter what life. And you see, it's the same demons that are pushing the abortion agenda that push the assisted suicide abo- uh, agenda. You know, if you're 90 years old and you're still... You're eating up the healthcare system and you're taking up hospital beds. We should pull the plug and we should make it legal because you're not adding anything anymore. You're just, you're just chewing up finances and hospitals. The same demon is behind both of them. Tell you, you know they're in the wrong. So 0.001% of abortions were from incestuous relationships. 0.065%, so not even 1%. The woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy. 0.085%, the woman was raped. So for all the people that say that abortion is uh, healthcare for women that have, now women that have been raped are hurting because they're not gonna, and that it it represents the vast majority of women. It's 0.085%, 0.28%. So we're not even dealing with a percentage. It's just a fraction of percentage. The woman's physical health was threatened by the pregnancy. 0.294%, the woman's psychological health was threatened by the pregnancy. And I have to remind you again, none of these reasons are justifiable. Abortion is an abomination. It is the shedding of innocent blood. Nothing's justifiable. You know, going back to the whole, uh, the whole, uh, you know, there's people that say, well, what if the woman's health is endangered? But the child will be born, but the 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 mother might die. First of all, when you become a parent, your duty is to protect the child at all costs. I'm ready to give my life for my children. So if a mother is saying, you know, I I don't want to die, just kill the baby, right then and there, you know that they're in opposition to the very responsibility and task God has laid on the parent to fiercely defend the child. 0.666% was there was a serious fetal abnormality. So we're not even in a percent yet. All of this combined is about 1%. Now, 6.26%, the abortion came by reason of social or economic reasons. I don't have enough money. I don't have support around me. Uh, the, the father's left me. I don't know what I'm going to do. 6.26%. Then 92.3% of abortions. This is incredible. This is the vast majority was there was no reason, it was an elective abortion, meaning I didn't want a boy. I wanted a girl. We have three girls already. Uh, I just feel like I'm not ready. You know, I want to go to school and all of those reasons. 
make up 93%. And there was like just two years ago or three years ago, you had the Virginia who's not in the Virginia governor who's not in power anymore, but the Virginia of, go, go, of go, the Virginia, the governor of Virginia, I forget his name, his name like Northam or something. He was literally pushing for a bill to be signed and enforced that would allow not for abortions up to birth. After the child is born, the bill that he signed and wanted to bring that got struck down by the current governor of, of Virginia. That bill would have allowed for after the child is born, you can take the kid, put him in a separate room, and then discuss with your spouse or with a physician whether you're ready to keep it or not. And if you weren't, they would put infanticide in the, a poison to kill the baby on the spot. So I want to go through... Five things the Bible says about abortion. And then I'm going to talk about what does the reversal of Roe v. Wade mean for the church and prophetically on God's timeline. Five reasons or five things the Bible says about abortions. Five facts that the Bible has concerning childbearing and abortion. Five things the Bible says about abortion. Number one, the child is alive. The child is alive. Luke chapter 1. And you know, I had this, my Bible turned to this, so let me just read this scripture before I go to Luke 1. Psalm 119, 128, the psalmist writes, Therefore all thy precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, and I hate every false way. So if you're going to care about what I have to say about what the Bible says about abortion, you have to first and foremost get rid of any Wisdom that tells you that the Bible is prone to error or the Bible is erroneous or the Bible is partial truth. The, the psalmist wrote everything concerning all things I consider to be right. In verse 160, the same psalmist writes, the entirety of thy word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So not only is God's word true, his truth endures forever. It wasn't true. In those Bible days, but now, you know, God's got, he's caught up with the times, you know, God's, uh, he's become more, um, more culturally, he desires to change his, you know, PR and stuff and become culturally acceptable. The Bible says every one of his righteous judgments endure forever. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for exhortation, and for doctrine. So if you're going to care about what I have to say about what the Bible says about abortion, you have to first and foremost resolve right now, right here, that God, this word is the final authority on any given matter and any given subject. So now let's go to Luke chapter 1. So this is what the Bible says about life, conception, and, and the, the atrocity of abortion. Number one, the child is alive. The child is alive. There's a big debate as to when, when does life begin? Is it at conception? Is it at first breath? Is it when the child has its first heartbeat? This is what the Bible says. And I don't care what other... First of all, actually, I studied the other day, 94% of uh, biologists, actually human biologists, believe that life begins, this is 94%, not of Christians, not preachers, this wasn't a survey of, uh, of, of uh, conservative preachers in the Bible Belt, this was a survey of 
uh, of, of human biologists. And they studied it. They've given their life to the study of it. And they, it came back that 94% of those surveyed globally, not just America, not in some conservative uh, nation, not in Saudi Arabia, not in, uh, in gl global, the global community of biologists, 94% came back and said life begins at conception which they just caught up with what the Bible says. Luke chapter one, and let's start with verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, not the clump of cells, not the cluster of cells, not the thing, doesn't say that it leaped, the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out loud with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So it doesn't say it's a cluster of cells. An actual baby was in there. And note this. The baby has a spirit that was receptive or rather responsive to the greeting of Mary. Doesn't say Elizabeth's heart leaped with joy. It says the baby leaped with joy, meaning it responded to the Holy Ghost. It responded to the anointing. That's why when my babies were in my, in my, my mother's womb, when my babies were in my wife's womb, we would lay hands. I'd lay hands on my wife's stomach and on her belly. We'd pray together. We'd play anointed worship music. We'd rele I'd release prophetic decrees. I'd, even when I was driving to another meeting, I would put my hand on her belly and I would just release prophetic statements on, on the children. You will be great on the earth. You'll be great in the sight of the Lord. You'll, you'll do exploits for the kingdom of God on the earth. You'll be a, a voice piece of God on the earth, a mouthpiece, an instrument of righteousness to tear down the pillars of, right, of wickedness. And I'd, I'd prophesy over my children because the baby is receptive. So the Bible says abortion's wrong because it's a life in the womb. Life begins at conception. Psalm 139, listen to this. The psalmist, writing about the intricacies of pregnancy, says, For you formed my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. In the womb, God is skillfully making you. In the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And your book, they were all written of me. The days fashioned for me, while as yet there were none, none of them. The Bible says in Galatians, listen to this, Galatians chapter 2. This is Paul speaking. Galatians, actually I don't think it's chapter 2, it's chapter 1. Galatians 1 and verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Separated me when? From my mother's womb? That leads me to point two. The child has a destiny. Not only is the child a living 
thing, a living human, it has, that child has a destiny. Paul said, while I was in my mother's womb, God separated me. Which I'm sure he got the inspiration to write that from Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah said, before I was formed in my mother's womb, you knew me. And before I was born, you consecrated me as a prophet to the nations. Hallelujah. Your children have a destiny. That's why God hates an abortion so much. Because an abortion isn't just the uprooting of a life. It's the uprooting of a destiny that has the capacity to shift and change and mark a generation. Within every seed of an oak tree is hidden the potential of an oak tree. Within every womb is hidden the potential of a game changer, a generation changer. Steve Jobs, the guy who pretty much made everything I'm using right now, designed everything. Steve Jobs' mother got pregnant and was going to abort. And Steve Jobs, till he was dead, he never stopped thanking his mother for not aborting him. And I'm sure the world today thanks Steve Jobs' mother for not aborting him. Because if it wasn't for Steve Jobs, all the technology we use for our broadcast wouldn't even be here. The iPhone, the iPod, the iPad. The camera that now is able to document my, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to document uh, your children growing up, you have to take over, take out the old camcorder, dust it off, get some cassettes, put it in. You know, I remember that. I was alive then. Now, at the just the push of a, a button, you can, you can literally have a 4K image of your children growing up. Steve Jobs was to be aborted. His mother said no. And look what it did for our generation. Miles Monroe. He talks about the atrocity of abortion and he says that his parents had seven children. He was the sixth. What if his father said, five is enough, get an abortion? What if his father said, you know, we're, we got some bills to pay, a fifth mouth to feed isn't going to cut it right now. We got to abort. Miles Monroe went on to be a best-selling author, a counselor to national leaders and presidents, and a multimillionaire who was a king, who was, because he passed away, unfortunately, but he was a kingdom advancer. Wrote books that I read on the vision and the purpose and power of vision and the principle of vision and all the fasting, his stuff on fasting and prayer has blessed me. The earth would have been robbed of the entire ministry of Miles Monroe. So that's why God hates abortion so much. It's a, a, a baby is a seed that God is planting on the earth with a destiny that has been designed to bring change on the earth, to bless the earth. You know, Abraham, imagine if his father, his mother had an abortion. God chose Abraham to do what? Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. Within every unborn child is the capacity to be a blessing to their generation. Abortion robs. You know, the devil is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, how do you think he does that best? By stealing a destiny in the womb, killing a life, and destroying, destroying a, a destiny. Stealing and robbing a blessing that a generation could enjoy by uprooting the life in the womb. That, that's why you know abortion is demonic. 
Suppose Mary had an abortion. Jesus came to save and seek and save that which was lost. Imagine Mary was like, you know what? I know that the power of the most high, I'm actually starting to show now, but I don't think I'm ready to bear the persecution. They all think that I was sleeping with Joseph outside of marriage, which wasn't true. I promise you, this was immaculate. They, I'm sure she had her persecutors. Imagine she went and had an abortion. We'd all be in hell because the Messiah wouldn't have come. So don't think, oh, it's just an abortion. No, it's much more than, a, an, than an abortion. It's much more than just taking a life. You're, you're robbing a generation of what, you know, you got people that discovered, look at uh, the guy that discovered the human genome and our DNA strand and all that, and all that's led to in the scientific community. Imagine that guy didn't, imagine if in the 60 million abortions that have had, that have happened over the last 50 years. Imagine if in one of those seas was someone who had the capacity to solve the cancer problem or the diabetes problem or whatever. It, you're, you're robbing a generation. And I want to add this, by the way, because this is a, a non, non-known fact. It, nobody, very few people understand this. The woman who founded Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanker, This is going to shock a lot of you, but you can go do your own research. The one who Hillary Clinton called her role model. Margaret Sanker was a known Ku Klux Klan rallyist. This is not conspiracy. You can go and look it up yourself. She was a Ku Klux Klan rallyist. And I quote from her own manifesto that she wrote out. It must not go out. YouTube's probably going to take this down. But anyway, it must not go out. That our plan, her, her organization's purpose is targeted towards the black population. And she says, I don't say this, that black people are like weeds that must be exterminated. You can go and read it yourself. This is not conspiracy. This is actually on the internet. So you have all these, and it's, it's sad, these black leaders now, that are trying, they're standing against Roe v. Wade, not even knowing that Roe v. Wade overturned the purpose of the organization that was actually programmed to target the black community. And she actually says, we will use the, this is crazy, we will use the ministers, black ministers, who have a lot of influence in the black community, we will use black ministers to make sure it never goes out what our actual purpose is. Go locate locate where most of the Planned Parenthood pregnancy clinics are. They're all, they're, most of them, I think like 95% of them are in multiracial communities. Spanish communities, black communities and stuff. Because that's, Margaret Sanker was a eugenicist. What's a eugenicist? Someone who wants to control the population of the earth, who wants to minimize it. When you study the roots of something, you start to see the demonic plot behind it, which goes to my third point of what the Bible says about abortion. Understand the demonic root of abortion. Abortion has demonic roots. I want to read this from the Dake Bible, which is my study Bible that I have. Nice big leather-bound book. In Leviticus 18.21, I love Dake's footnote in in, uh, respect to Leviticus 
18.21. This is what verse 21 says. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the file to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Molech, he goes on to explain, Molech means king. And this was the name of the false god of Ammon. You know, the Ammonites? You know, everybody always says, why did, why did God deal so harshly with the Ammonites? Why did God deal so harshly with, uh, with some people groups on the earth where he commanded the Israelites to annihilate them? Well, look at what they were doing. This was the name of the main god, Am god of Ammon called Shemosh by Moab Moabites. Molech was worshipped in Egypt as Amrunra, the king of gods. What was supposed to be his, like, his likeness was a statue of bronze resting on a pedestal or a throne of bronze. His head was crowned, resembling that of a calf, and his arms extended as if to embrace all who came near. Children were his victims. So it was this big, ugly thing with horns on its head with his hands extended like this. And parents would bring their children when the statue was heated red hot by fire. So it's a bronze statue that they would heat up so it was like an oven. And they would put the children on the bronze heated arms to dedicate them so that they would receive Molech's favor. And oftentimes Molech was called the god of fertility. So they would sacrifice their first child as like an investment, a seed, guaranteeing fertility over the years, that if we'll just sacrifice our first one to Molech, Molech will guarantee fertility for the many years. Many would take their children and burn them alive on the idol. Leviticus 20, verse 1 through 5, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel, of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who give any of his descendants to Molech, he will surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and cut him from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary. And if, listen to this, this is why, why do you... <coughs> Why do you Christians have to talk about it? Why can't you just keep your business to yourself? You know, it's not affecting you. Leviticus 20. If any of the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man who gives some of his children to Molech and they don't kill him, then I'll set my face against that man and against his family. It's a, it's a risk to not call out evil when evil's being done openly and publicly. Jeremiah 32, 5. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come to my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Every Planned Parenthood clinic, every abortion clinic is literally an altar erected to Molech and I, I'm sad because most of the women that do it, don't, they don't understand this. There are some that do. There are some that, uh, you know, they understand. They're proud about how they had 15 abortions. They're real wicked people. Some of them are just bound. Some of them are just, they're ignorantly doing it in unbelief. Just like Paul said, I've ignorantly done it in unbelief. But nonetheless, every abortion clinic is literally an altar erected to Molech where people are bringing their children 
And whether they know it or not, they are doing a sacrifice. Because you know what Planned Parenthood's doing with all that? They're enlarging their territory. You know, there's a scripture in Amos chapter 1. I'm going to read it. Amos chapter 1 and uh, verse 13. For three transgressions of the people of Ammon, which we just talked about, Ammon, the Ammonites served the god of Molech. For four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because they ripped open, listen to this, ripped open the woman with child in Galead. What do you think that is? Ripped open the woman with child. That's abortion. That they might enlarge their territories. Planned Parenthood, there was a video that CBS did a couple of years ago. I wish I had the clip to play it. But CBS did a, a, a news story on a man who undercover met with a Planned Parenthood executive. And in that meeting, he had an undercover, he had a camera set up. She didn't see it. The woman talked about how they can take and preserve child, unborn children's hearts, livers, spleens, lungs, and the highest in demand was their cranium, their brains, and they would try to do the abortion and preserve those things because they take it and they sell the body parts to private corporations for stem cell whatever, which it's illegal, and this should irritate you. It's an abomination to God. It should be an abomination to you. You know, God doesn't just say, love what I love. He says, hate what I hate. This, is, this wasn't, you know, Alex Jones doing something. This was CBS News covering this story. And they, they, they openly admitted. You know what happened? The story got swept under the rug. The guy that was undercover got fined heavily. For doing it and releasing the story. And I don't know what happened with him. But I, I, we don't hear of him much anymore. Who knows what happened. The Bible says. They ripped open the women with child in Gilead. That they might enlarge their territories. These abortion clinics. They're making money. Why do you think all these politicians are standing behind it? Because their hands are in the same pocket. They're feeding from it. To enlarge their territories. And you notice all these guys. Man, it's getting real. All these guys, I don't usually talk like this, so it's your first uh, broadcast on. Welcome to the broadcast. All these guys that are uh, pro proponents of abortion and standing up for abortion and pro-choice and all that, they're all the same people that were in bed with Jeffrey Epstein who had an island that was discovered it was a complete child sex ring. Wicked, wicked people. If you think all of this is just in movies, that's what the devil does. He puts it on Hollywood. So you look at it and you say, that can't be. You watch too many movies. It's not. This happens. These demons, you know Molech, he didn't die. He's a spirit. He's an unseen God. Little G. An unseen force. An idol. He didn't die. He's still on the earth today. They're still craving for blood. They're still craving for child blood. You have to understand the demonic root of abortion. I, I want to read this, what Isaiah Salivar put on, uh, on, on Instagram the other day. I have it saved in my photos. Isaiah wrote, The first battle Joshua faced when bringing the children into the promised land was Jericho. Many of you know the story of the walls of Jericho following, but don't realize that Jericho worshipped 
a demon god. The people lived in Jericho were Canaanites. They worshipped an idol named Moloch, the god of fire. The Molech was a giant brass image with the head of a bull. In his belly was an opening where the fire burnt. The way worshippers appeased this angry God was to let their children pass through the fire. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, what we just read. This was a process. Mothers would bring their living infants before this demon God. And at a certain point as they worshipped the idol, they'd roll the baby into the fire as a sacrifice. The, baby, the mother of the baby was to then dance and rejoice without showing any signs of remorse or sadness or else the offering was not accepted. After the babies had burnt with fire, they would gather their ashes and put them into jars. And then they'd take the jars and insert them into the walls of Jericho. Now you know why God said, I'm going to bring the walls of Jericho down. Hallelujah. They would take the ashes of the children and put them in the walls of Jericho. So that when God said, I'm dealing with the, the people of Jericho, I'm going to make the walls fall. I'm going to crack the whole establishment. I'm going to rain my judgment down on the very thing. The very gods of Jericho. Now the walls of Jericho coming a tumbling down means a whole new thing for you. Well, why the walls of Jericho? I don't know. God had nothing else. No. He was sending a message. And what we saw with Roe v. Wade, God sent a message to his church. I've taken down the walls. It's a time of victory and rejoicing and celebration. But don't just celebrate. Just like David, he knocked down Goliath. Took the head of Goliath off. Celebrated with his head like a raging lunatic. But then what did the Israelites move to do? They went after the Philistines. They chased them down. They overtook. Neither did they stop pursuing until they had fallen under their feet. Psalm 18 says that. I overtook them. I pursued them until they were under my feet. And that's what God's about to do on the earth. Roe v. Wade falling, the abortion industry falling and collapsing was the, the, the walls of Jericho falling in the nation of America, which has an incredible influence in the nation of Canada and abroad. And it doesn't mean now we should just celebrate and sit and do nothing. Now's the time to act. Now's the time to be more evangelistic than ever. Now's the time to do more crusades than ever. Now's the time to put the hand to the plow and run quicker than ever. Because God has given us a window of opportunity to bring in this last day harvest before it's eternally too late. We have to be like Jesus. To put our hand, work while it is yet day for night is coming when no man will be able to work. Now's not the time to rest. Now's not the time to eat, drink, and be merry. We celebrate. But then we move to work. We move to action. Molech, he, 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 Isaiah, my friend, he's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. And he wrote, Molech is angry. And I wrote to him. I said, Molech can kiss my gospel grits because it's not the time of the devil. It's not the glory days of the devil. It's not the day or the hour for the devil to move. It is the hour of the church. These are the days of the glorious church that the Bible says Jesus will come back for without spot, without wrinkle. It's the days and it's the hour of the church's triumph and victory on the earth. That's the church you belong to. Number three, understand the demonic root of abortion. You know, why do you think the devil's targeting the unborn? What did he do in Moses' day? 
When, it was, when Moses was to be raised up as a deliverer in, in Israel, what did he do? Everyone under two years old, they killed. And every baby that came out of the womb, the womb, that was uh, a male child, Pharaoh gave a command, kill. It was an attack, an attack against the innocent. Fast forward to Jesus' day, what do you have? Jesus is, is prophesied that he's born in, in Bethlehem, in the city of Judah. Herod hears of it, threatens his throne, threatens his, his kingdom, sends out wise men to go and inquire. They don't come back. What does he do? He makes a, a, a law. Every child under two must be exterminated, targeted the innocent. At every major prophetic time in the history of the Bible, children were always the target of the devil. Why? He was trying to uproot the seed in the womb. If he had gotten Moses out at the beginning, he wouldn't have had to worry about the Israelites. If he had gotten Jesus out at the beginning, he wouldn't have had to worry about the Messiah going to a cross. Now, what do you see? Acts chapter 2 says, in the last days, young men and young women, children, will rise up and prophesy. And that deliverers will rise out of Mount Zion. Obadiah verse 21. God is going to raise up a generation of anointed preachers and deliverers to go about the earth and bring about a last wave of revival before Christ comes back. So what does the devil do? He sets his scope against the unborn. If I can uproot as many as possible before they get hold of the gospel then I can at least stop, I can try and stop the fulfillment of Acts chapter 2. The devil can try his best. His best is not enough. Once God has spoken it, who can turn it back, the Bible says. But now you see why there's, there's this violent attack against the unborn. Number four, what the Bible says about abortion. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. I said it before, we're not only admonished to hate what is evil, uh, to love what is good, we're admonished to hate what is evil. Psalm 97.10, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Proverbs 6.16 to 19, these six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. God values life, the devil devalues life. The same spirit behind abortion is behind assisted suicide. It's the innocent people that are, their blood is being shed. Romans 12, 9, love what is good, abhor what is evil. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You know, I'm, I'm, you know I don't feel to speak on the abortion thing because it's just not what God's called me to do. It doesn't say preachers hate what is evil. It says if you love what is good, if you're a lover of God, if you fear the Lord, you should hate evil. Not be okay with it. Oh, that's not my business. No, it, it became your business the moment you joined righteousness. Psalm 45, 7. You who love, the lo- love righteousness, but you have hated lawlessness. So now God will anoint you with the oil of joy before all thy, above all thy fellows. You want to know why a lot of ministers have no anointing? You couldn't find anointing in them? If you looked at looked, looked for it with a microscope. It's because, yeah, they love what is good, but there's no hatred for what is evil. God said, you have to hate evil and love good. And that's when my anointing will flow in you. Charles Finney didn't just love good 
and love God and want people saved. He went to Rochester, New York, which was a town that was plagued by evil. Plagued with bars and drunkenness and all kinds of evil things. And that's where he set up camp. Hate what is evil. Number five, if you have committed an abortion, this is what the Bible says. God will forgive you. These people think that we're just, you know, raging lunatics who get angry at people. No. If you've committed an abortion, there's grace for you. God will forgive you. God will wash you. 1 Timothy 1.13. This is Paul speaking. Although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor. When he said persecutor, he kind of went easy. He was a murderer. He murdered Christians. And abortion is murder. I know I was an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, was exceedingly abundant. This is what he says. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul stops there and says, of whom I am the chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me Jesus Christ might show all patience as a pattern to those who will believe on him for everlasting life. Paul said, I'm a, I'm a pattern that God wants to start. I'm an example. If God can save me, he can save you. If God can forgive me, he can forgive you. If God can forgive me, he can forgive you. That's what Paul was saying. Paul didn't go easy on the church. Paul murdered. Paul murdered Christians. Hold on, let me just. There you go. Paul murdered Christians. And in all that, he says, I was just an example. That's why God saved me first. That's why Jesus appeared to me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you an example afterwards. So if anyone's ever soaking in guilt and condemnation, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did that. Um, Paul said, you can look to my life and realize that there's no sin that you've done. And abortion is not the unpardonable sin. Well, there's nothing you've done. Not murder, not adultery, not anything. Fornication, nothing that you've done. The blood of Jesus will not forgive you. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And he goes on. Neither fornicators, idolatrous, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revivers, nor extortioners. And I'm sure he would have added murderers in there too. Will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Bible says if we have sinned, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God said, hey, let's reason together. Come, you who've sinned, let's reason together. I'm not mad at you. Though your sins are as red as crimson, I'll wash, I'll wash them as white as snow. Though your sins are as red as scarlet, I'll make them as white as wool. But come to me. He said, if you will cover your sin, you'll never prosper. But if you confess it and forsake it, you will have mercy. The Bible says, in that day, 
your sins and lawless deeds, if you'll ask me for, 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 for forgiveness, I'll remember them no more. I'll blot them out. I'll bury them in the sea of forgetfulness. I'll take them out. I'll click delete on the record of your life and you'll have a brand new slate. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Everything becomes new. That's right. Great, great scripture, Heather. Psalm 51. If anyone <laughs> understood grace, it was David. If anyone understood mercy, it was David. Because he not only committed adultery, he murdered the woman's husband so that it wouldn't get out. And David said, David said, God created me a pure heart, created me a steadfast spirit. If God did it for him, he'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. The Bible says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, who gave himself for us that we might be redeemed from every lawless deed. You've been redeemed. You know what redeemed means? God paid the bill and he bought you back. You've been redeemed from every lawless deed. And he's purified you for his own special people, zealous for good works. So if you've had an abortion and you're a Christian, and you still think about it, and you're still guilt, you feel guilty about it, forget those things which are behind. I feel this is a word for some of you. Isaiah says, behold, remember not the former things, neither yet consider the things of old. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to restore the joy of your youth. I'm going to restore the joy and the innocency of your heart. I'm going to restore the purity of your heart today in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus Christ. So those are the five, five things the Bible says about abortion and, and conception and life. But now, what does the reversal of Roe v. Wade mean for the church? Two things. One, persecution will come. Bible says when is, justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoer. Expect uprisings. We're already seeing it. Whenever a demon is cast out of a man, what happens? The man manifests, convulses, shakes, screams, yells out. When a demon is being cast out of a nation, then you can expect the same thing on a mass level. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that. There are literally people manifesting all across the United States and Canada. And just yelling into a camera as if that's going to do anything. That's how you know it's, it's spiritual. It does nothing. But they're yelling into a camera. They're yelling at the, at the Supreme Court building. They're just, they think they're protesting. They're not. They're manifesting. Because they're angry. And the devil has come down having great wrath now. But he can get, it. He, like I said before, they can get as angry as they want. Molech can be angry. The devil can be angry. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. So there will be, there will be, mark my words, that we're already seeing it in Texas and other places. They're having attacks against, the, against actual churches. They're throwing Molotov cocktails into their buildings. They're, they're, uh, they're attacking. They're graffitiing their, their buildings and, uh, and doing all that, trying to make their voice heard and whatnot. There will be that. But just like in Exodus, when Pharaoh put more burdens on the Israelites, they multiplied more. The persecution isn't going to snuff out the wick of the church. The persecution is actually going to add to the growth of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell 
will not prevail against it. Everybody loves to talk about the negative side of Bible prophecy. In the last days, there'll be mockers that mock the truth, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons that permeate the church. There's going to be a heaping up of false teachers that will preach what the flesh wants to hear. And they talk about the negative side of, of, uh, of Bible prophecy, but there's a positive side to Bible prophecy. So one is there's going to be persecution, but two, here's what we can expect. As the Goliath of Roe v. Wade has been turned down. Isaiah chapter 2. I need to go through this because a lot of Christians, they have no clue what the Bible says about the advancement of the church in the last days. They, the only thing they know is that there's going to be many that depart from the faith. That's the only scriptures they know. Many that depart from the faith, perilous times will come, men will be lovers of self, spiritual apostasy, that's it. But the Bible actually talks about another side. In the midst, Isaiah 60. Arise and shine, for your light has come. Gross darkness will overtake the earth. Deep darkness the people. But unto you, my light will shine on you. And it says that many of the Gentiles will come to the rising of thy light. Spiritual revival. Listen to this. Isaiah 2. This might be the first time you ever read uh, scriptures like this. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 3. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, that's talking about the church in prophecy, shall be established on the top of the mountains, that's talking about the world, and shall be exalted above all the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. That's talking about a global revival. The church will be exalted. And all nations will flow to it. There won't be one nation that is left out from the coming move of God. I know there's some people that watch us from the islands. There's some people that watch us from, from, from New Zealand. There's some people that watch us from Hawaii. There's some people that watch us from small... Uh, we have people that watch us from Micronesia. Doesn't matter what nation you come from. Every nation will be impacted by what's about to come. Turn with me to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, confirming what Isaiah already said in Isaiah chapter 2. Micah 4. See how fast I can catch Micah. He's usually one of those that are hidden somewhere in the minor prophets. Micah chapter 4. Verse 1, now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Which days are we in? The latter days. That the mountain of the Lord's house, there it is again, the church in prophecy, will be established on the top. So it doesn't say the church is going to be kicked to the curb, beaten, and, and, and sidewalked, discarded and disregarded. The Bible says that the church will actually be rising in this time. Look at it in Egypt. The plagues were hitting the earth. The Israelites were rising. No darkness in their land. Their crops were growing. You have to see yourself as that. Abraham was literally the church in one man. And look at his life. In a great famine on the earth. Abraham was growing. Abraham was, his, his livestock was growing. His cat, he was blessed in every way. Isaac was in the, another famine, like the famine of his father Abraham. And he sowed in a famine and reaped a hundredfold. What the world was battling, Isaac didn't battle. Isaac was anointed and programmed to grow even in a season that didn't look favorable 
The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the nations, the peoples shall flow into it. Many nations will come and say, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go to church. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. This is why the devil wants you to think that, uh, how many of you know, you know, northern United States, they're, they're very hard when it comes to the gospel. They, he wants you to get you to be programmed that way. You talk to some preachers, everywhere they go, it's, it's hard here, it's hard here, it's hard here, it's hard here, it's hard here. Quit talking what your flesh wants to talk. John the Baptist, he, he says, I'm going to be a voice of one crying in a wilderness. You want to talk about hard, hardship? His ministry was located in the wilderness. And while he was speaking, the Bible says, all people from Judea and the surrounding townships flood, flooded to John the Baptist. Didn't matter where he was. Stop making excuses. Instead, understand that you're anointed, that you can go into a desert and act as an oasis in the desert. John the Baptist was in a desert and his voice was heard. So don't speak what the devil wants you to speak. It's hard now. This generation, they're so hard. <laughs> Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. The Bible prophesies there will be a generation in the latter days. There will be many that fall away. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. There will be many that turn aside to false doctrine. There will be many that apostatize. But there will be many that say, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's going to be a, a, strong, a strong church. He'll teach us his ways. For out of, the, out of Zion, the church, the law will go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And then I don't have to mention it, but I will. Acts chapter 2, in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your young men will, dream, will have visions. And your old men will dream dreams. And I'll show signs on the earth and wonders in the heavens. And that many will call on the name of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What do you think that is? That's prophesying of a last day revival. How many of you know there's a lot of preachers that say that there's going to be a revival in the last days? I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Well, I'm sorry you bought a Bible on discount in the Walmart section with Acts chapter 2 ripped out, but it's in there. Amos chapter 9, verse 11 through 13. On that day, speaking of the latter days, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. Praise and thanksgiving will return into the church which has fallen down and I'll repair its damages and I'll raise up its ruins. Hallelujah. And rebuild it as in the days of old. And rebuild it as in the days of old. And rebuild it. The Bible says that in the latter times, I will send forth the latter rain. And the latter rain will act like the former rain and the latter rain in the same time. Meaning what the early church had and what we're about to see will be combined for the greatest days of the church on the earth. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. This will be the, this will be the result of that. The latter rain hitting the earth. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper. What does that mean? We won't be able to handle the harvest of souls that come in. We won't be able to handle it all. Be too many. Churches won't be. Why do you think the stadiums of America have been built? You think it's so that some guy can go and watch the, you know, Pittsburgh uh, Penguins lose, lose all the time? You think it's for that? For, for sports teams? You think it's for... Some heathen men to smoke cigars while they watch the New England Patriots play. All those mega edifices were built to hold in the mass influx of souls that we're going to see. 
The days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the, the treader of grapes, him who sows seeds. And the mountains will drip with sweet wine, meaning the anointing is going to flow like never before. From these scriptures that I just said, it's very evident that the end days is not going to be the church scurrying to survive, running around in survival mode. The church is going to be in dominion mode. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing flowing strong right now. I've said it many times. Samson is a type of the church. He compromised as the church has many times in recent history. But in his Last moments of time while he was in that Philistine camp and they were mocking him and he was performing before them. He grabbed the pillars and he said, Lord, give me one more victory before I go out. And the Bible says he tore the pillars down and he killed more Philistines in his death than he did his entire lifetime. The church, before it is raptured up, like Samson, we will get more victories. We'll see more victories. We will witness more triumphs before Jesus comes back for us, then we have in the entire history of the church on planet earth. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You have dominion now on the earth. The devil's going to rue the day where he could have aborted you and could have killed you and could have destroyed you, but he, he didn't because God preserved you. And he preserved you because now there's a work to be done. I feel the Holy Spirit falling on some of you right now. Holy Spirit, I pray, put in us a holy hatred, an indignation for those things that you hate, for those things that are an abomination in your sight. And inject in us a love for that which you love. Break our heart for what breaks yours. When Jesus saw injustice, he wept. He wept at Jerusalem. And then he moved to action. I pray, Father, just like the psalmist said, rivers of water runs down from our eyes, for men forsake thy law. As we see, injustice is done. Would you put in us, not a sympathy for it, but a compassion to actually get up and do something about it. In light of the recent victory of Roe v. Wade being overturned, Father, I pray, put a wind behind our backs right now to run like we've never ran before, to be that faithful and wise steward who when you will come back soon for your church, we will be found working and doing in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those watching right now. Let your Holy Ghost fall on them right now. All across this earth. Holy Spirit, fall, anointing fall on them. Give them dreams and visions. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, that they might play their part and take full heed unto the ministry which they've received from you in taking their part in your agenda for these last days. Kisto pragia drobohota. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to do so, like I said before, maybe you've had an abortion, you felt guilty and all that, and, and you want to get right with God, you can do so right now, right here. Whether you grew up in church or it's the first time you're ever hearing this, Jesus died for you. 
Jesus loves you. He paid the price for your sin. He died a sinner's death on that cross, and he rose again to prove his triumph over death so that now death could no long, will no longer have dominion over you, so that sin will no longer have dominion over you, so that guilt, condemnation, and, and, and your past will no longer have dominion over you. You can have a new beginning today. You can have your sins forget, for, forgiven. You can have the life of God come in you right now where you're not operating by your own strength, but it's the power of God working through you. But you have to do this. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead, and I confess Jesus is my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I plead your blood over my life. I'm innocent now. I've been forgiven. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Give me your grace to keep on moving. No more backwards motions, forward only. In Jesus' name. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my Savior. And I'm never going back. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out. I want to send something to you free of charge, some resources that are going to help you out, a Bible, some books that are going to help you out in this new walk with Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that you make it. I want, I, want to, I want to help you in whatever way I can. And so as a way of saying welcome to the family of God, Go on that, my website, fill in that form, and I'm going to send you something free of charge. We're not going to ever ask you for money or anything like that. I just want to do it to bless you. Go and do that now. God bless you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.